today. 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the Defenders of Business Value podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now with your host, Ed Mysoglad. I was uh, introduced to Perry Marshall. Um, I was reading a book called 8020 Sales and Marketing, and I had heard about this guy that he was using the Pareto Principle, or otherwise known as the 8020 Rule, for marketing. And so I dove into into his book, and I mean, it was just chock full of just interesting things that we might apply to business value. So, but in the book, he helps you understand that the 80-20 rule is fractal, meaning that it's a repeating pattern where the smallest parts resemble the whole. So inside every 20% is another top 20%. And that was where I wanted to focus on this podcast and bringing him on. And so we, we dug into how business owners can create value using this Pareto principle. And he consults, he's one of the most expensive and sought after consultants uh, out there. And I had happened to bump into hearing him talk about business investing and what he looks for in businesses and how he, he takes underperforming businesses and, and adds his 80-20 principles to the business that amplifies the overall value. So at any rate, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Perry Marshall, because I certainly did. Welcome to the show, Perry. Thank you for having me. Um, We've it's. I know it's going to be interesting because from talking before we went on air. So I'm I'm delighted to be here and uh, every, everybody's going to get some nuggets that you can use to make more money with less time and less effort and find the real levers in your business. So glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you. So I, before, before you came on, I, I shared a little bit about you from the bio your staff provided, but uh, please give us you know, 20% overview that will tell us 80% about you. Well, so I am the guy who was an engineer. And when my wife was three months pregnant, I got laid off. Uh, from my engineering job. And uh, I couldn't stay in the same specialty without moving from Chicago. And so I went into sales. And I thought, well, you know, I've had a lot of sales guys visit me in my engineering job. You know, I don't know that these guys seem to be all that sharp. I I think this should be a piece of cake. (laughs) Yeah, nice. <laughs> Famous last word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember this friend of mine saying, you know, Perry, you don't just stick a pencil behind your ear and enter a new profession. Um, and he, he was right. And well, so two years of pounding pavement and pounding phone directories and trying to get through gatekeepers and go see people who didn't want to see me and, adding tons of miles on my car and getting really skinny commission checks and projects that suddenly flake out at the last minute, you know, like you get everything lined up and then one of the vendors vomits all over everything, you know, like, like, um, I had this company and they were going to, 
they're going to have all these circuit boards converted to surface mount technology. And I got them to this company that can do it. And, and the, and the engineering manager goes, so let's go see your engineering department. And the guy says, Oh, well we sold that last week and we're going to be outsourcing it to this other guy. And like the whole meeting just went, it's like, like on cartoons where it goes, wah, 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 wah. you know, <laughs> and like the guy wouldn't even return my phone calls after they left. You could tell they were mad, you know? And it's like, like when, when I came to work that morning, like I didn't see this coming, you know? And so sure. anyway, uh, like lots, like lots of people have, have been through that. And, um, well, so about two years into that, and at this point, credit cards are up to the our eyeballs, and you know, like things are starting to fray and break, and like you know that like this this uh, the spaceship is cracking up, Captain. Um, I discovered direct marketing. Um, I went to a a presentation that Dan Kennedy gave and he levitated about 300 bucks out of my wallet. And I learned, uh, I learned that there was a whole world. And by the way, this is about 20 years ago. I learned that there was a whole world of copywriting and direct response marketing and mailing lists. And like, I suddenly understood like what, if I got an airplane and I looked at a sky mall catalog, which I guess those have disappeared, but you know, for years they'd have those, you know, gadget catalogs in the airplane. I suddenly, it, it suddenly crystallized that there was an entire world where business gets done without anybody talking to anybody. Okay. Now this is just before the internet's about to really hit. And, and it turns out uh, whether people realize it or not, most of what actually works on the internet when it comes to selling stuff and all of us, you know, we get emails and there's e-commerce and there's black Friday sales and all this kind of stuff. Um, most of what works in selling on the internet actually comes from the, the direct mail and catalog businesses of the 20th century. And, and, um, and that was a very well-developed science, even though nobody really paid any attention to it back then. And I discovered that world. And what I discovered was that I could take pieces of that world bolt them onto the front end of a business to business, you know, sales organization, like whether I was selling industrial equipment, which was what I was doing, or whether you're selling businesses the way that you do, or whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or a chiropractor or um, a plumber or a butcher baker, candlestick maker, that I could take elements of direct response marketing and whether it was direct mail or Valpac coupon books or Google ads or Facebook ads or emails or what have you, um, that, that I could get people to steadily and reliably 
come to me instead of me chasing them. And, and one, of the th- one of the things that made my sales career particularly painful was that I am a naturally consultative salesperson. I, I am not the kind of guy who can just walk into some business and start slapping people on the back and telling jokes and <laughs> asking them about their fish on the wall and, you know, and, and buy them some bulls tickets, you know, and, you know, like, and get them to buy stuff. Like, I don't feel like yeah. I belong there unless I can actually solve a problem and use my expertise and use my education and use my, my rationality yeah. and my resourcefulness. Um, and, you know, and this, my first sales job was really a job where they wanted a guy that was just gonna go get the purchase order, right? Uh, you know, buy, buy the guys the donuts and sell them the proximity sure. switches. Or, <laughs> and, and, and so, so it, was, it was a real struggle. And if, if you are a consultative salesperson, the worst thing you can do is go make cold calls and beg. Because you are starting with one foot in the grave. It's like, imagine a guy standing in a grave, looking up at you and saying, hey, you know, I I know it it doesn't really look at it, but I'm a cardiologist. No, no. And we fight the we fight the same thing that, you know, we're trying to talk to business owners of something that they really need to to really consider. And whether it's now or a decade from now, you, you have to understand your business in order to sell it and they just don't do it. And we have an entire industry that's, that's working like crazy to try to educate business owners, you know, that whole cons- consultative selling uh, to my knowledge. Uh, I'm not certain anybody's cracked the code yet. Well, well, so what, what I found, so here's what happened. What, what happened was, um, a couple, just a couple switches like fell into place. One of them was I got fired from my job after two years and I managed to find another one fairly quickly. Um, the new job, we had a website, this is 1997. Um, so this, so so in 1997, most people weren't really using the internet, but engineers were cause engineers tend to be a little ahead of the curve. And we sold engineering stuff. We had a very primitive website. What we discovered was if we put good quality problem solving information in front of people, we could generate leads and we could get people to fill in the form and say, I would like to know more. And then I could reach out. And because they had come to me instead of me chasing them, um, I was in a much better position. So they would ask me a question. They, they would actually assume that I probably had a good answer. And then I could be the consultative salesperson. And so then what we did is we pole vaulted because we started cr- creating boot camps and workshops to give people really quality education about this industrial networking stuff that we were selling. We started um, coordinating activities with uh, trade organization uh, for the industry and stuff like that. And 
we became the mouse that roared. Like we were literally one of the smallest companies in our space. Like we were, we were a $2 million company in a business where most of the players were 50 or hundred million dollar, even billion dollar companies. But we were putting so much quality information into the marketplace and positioning it so well that we looked 10 times bigger than we were and people would come to our workshops and they would listen to us and they would read our magazine articles. And so we positioned ourselves as, as experts. And, and one thing that you'll find is that in any sales transaction, somebody has the upper hand and it's not necessarily the person with the money. People assume it's the person with the money. No, yeah. no. No, listen, um, let's say your net worth is $10 million and you had a heart attack yesterday, or you just found out you have pancreatic cancer. Does having $10 million give you the upper hand? Right. Uh, a lot of this with the business owners that we work with, I mean, in fact, uh, it just happened where we had consulted with a, a business owner and we were helping position her and she tabled it. She said, look, I'm, I, I don't have time for it. She called me up. You know, I've got six weeks to live. Can you, can you help me sell my company? Ooh. Oh my. Yeah. So wow. yeah. And, and nearly six weeks to the day she's gone. And, and you know, that, that family now will not, I mean, it, it was a fire sale and I mean, pennies on the dollar and, and it could have all been avoided. And so, yeah. So along the same, same lines, what, what, what difference does it make if you have $10 million or not? Right now? And now I want to, but I want to just, I'm just illustrating the point that if you have a lot of money, but you still don't know how to solve a problem, it could be any problem. It could be remodeling yeah. your bathroom. Okay. If you, if you don't have, know how to solve your problem, or you don't have a reliable person who can solve your problem, then the reliable person who can prove that they're reliable still has the upper hand. Okay. And yeah. a lot, of, a lot of times entrepreneurs, marketers, salespeople, they are so used to having the short end of the stick. In actuality, they're sort of afraid to have the upper hand and my point is you need to have the upper hand. Um, I cannot help my clients unless they respect me. I, I had a conversation with one of my gurus about 15 years ago, John Carlton. Um, I was a, I was a freelancer. I was doing these projects. I was kind of doing okay. Um, and, and I, I knew I needed help. And so I, I, well, I bought some help, you know, like I went and bought a, a, a coaching package from a guy and, and, and I could reach out to him and ask him questions. And so I got into this tiff with a client over how we're going to do their website and all this stuff. And so I, I emailed him and I said, well, here's what's going on. And he emails me back. He goes, he goes, you did all of that for $3,000. He goes, Perry, if I was doing that, I would have charged him at least 15. He says, listen, if the CEO's hand is not shaking when he writes you the check, you're not charging enough. Because Perry, 
you're not a mouth in the food chain. You are the food chain. Mm, that's interesting. And, 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 and it, it harkened back to a conversation I had when I was 16. I went out for Cokes with one of my, my, my friend's dad. And I didn't know that much about him. Well, it turned out he was um, a management professor at the local university. He was the highest paid faculty member at the entire university. And this is in 1986. He says, Perry, I do consulting on the side and I charge three to $5,000 a day. And I listen to that. I'm like, uh, my dad doesn't even make $5,000 a month. Like I had just total sticker shock. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, Perry, I don't charge that money because I need the money. He goes, I got plenty of money. He goes, the reason I charge that much money is when a CEO is paying you three to $5,000 a day to telling, tell you what's wrong with his company. When you sit down and tell him he takes notes. And, right. and, and so it, it's, it's all about positioning authority, trust and respect. And, you know, you, in your business, you know, you're buying and selling companies and that's even more important because what most people don't realize about buying and selling businesses is that businesses are bought and sold for just as many weird and bizarre reasons as people buy and sell their car or their house or their boat. Okay. It's like, Oh, I I just got this, you know, horrible diagnosis. I'm going to die in six weeks. Oh, I have to sell my business. It could be like that. Right. Or it could be, well, you know, my, uh, my ex-wife is moving uh, to another city and it's going to change my situation. And I can't, uh, I can't deal with this anymore. So, you know, like, or these weird things they'll happen or, well, I just got this inheritance and I got to go deal with these other things. So I'm going to sell this business. Like, or, or the reasons why people buy a business is just as weird and just as, yeah. as varied. Okay. And so like, there's all of these, there's all of these situations. And if you want to make the best that you can out of the situation, you need authority and you need positioning and you need people to believe you're the expert. And so, so that's the game that you are playing. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, and and so we talk a a lot about the 80, 20 principle that you, that you certainly popularize. But the funny thing is the, after reading your books, um, I had, and it was 80, 20 sales and marketing was, was my first introduction to you. And the more I, I dug into it, the more I was seeing it in our, in our business. Like for example, uh, the cash flow to revenue ratio. I know that if I can get it above 20%, I can then about guarantee 80% of the time the company's going to sell. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, that's not the case. I mean, there, we have a, I mean, we're a little bit higher. We have about a 30% success ratio, but as a industry as a whole, I mean, it's only about 20, 25%. So, at any rate, I, I started seeing more and more about that. So, are in the consulting that that you're doing with with business owners are you seeing that kind of what is 8020 principle and then 
are you seeing that with the people that you're consulting to amplify their value? So 80-20 is much, much bigger and deeper than most people ever think. So probably most people somewhere along the way have heard the story about the Italian economist, Velfredo Pareto, who figured out in every country he studied, 20% of the people had 80% of the money, 20% of the people owned 80% of the real estate. And it didn't actually seem to matter whether they said that they were capitalists or socialists or communists or whatever, the, the inequality always seemed to be about the same, which is true, by the way, okay? Um, well, so most people have heard that, and probably a lot of salespeople have heard that 20% of your customers give you 80% of your sales. Okay, so that's, that's true, but it's way bigger, way deeper than that. So most people think it's just this business rule of thumb or this weird ratio that just kind of happens to, to, to be the case. Uh, no, no. It is a fundamental law of cause and effect, okay? And it's everything. It's just about every spreadsheet that you could make about a business or marketing or advertising. It's also things like rabbit populations and the size of craters on the moon or the traffic on the streets in your, uh, in your town or the traffics on the inter interstate uh, in the United States or uh, you know, how busy the airports are. All of these things are 80-20, which is, so 20% of the roads have 80% of the cars and 20% of the sand in the bucket takes up 80% of the space in the bucket. And 20% and of your carpet has 80% of the dirt tracked on it because 80% of the traffic is in, in these small you know, narrow pathways through your house. Okay. Right. So this is, I mean, this is true all over the place, but furthermore, this is where the kicker is. It's fractal, which means pattern in a pattern in a pattern in a pattern. There's an 80, 20 inside every 80, 20. So 20% of the roads have 80% of the cars but 20% of 20% of the roads have 80% of 80% of the cars. And 20% of 20% of 20% of roads have 80 of 80 of 80. So 1% of the roads have 50% of the cars. Now we all know that's true, but when you generalize it to, there's this pretty simple math formula that says whether we're talking about product defects or customer support tickets or or shoplifting in your store or problem employees or high performance employees or um, which ads in your Facebook account are generating the most leads or which numbers in a business analysis affect whether you sell the business or not or which Factors in business operation affect profitability. All of those things are 80-20. And all of those things are 80-20 squared. And all of those things are 80-20 cubed. And, huh. Okay, so, so let's talk about what you just said. Okay, yeah. so you said, well, um, to, if I could rephrase what I think I heard you Please. say was... 
was you'll do it better. You found a tipping point where if you can get the profitability above a threshold of 20%, it overwhelmingly increases the likelihood of the business getting sold. Okay. That's correct. Sounded better with you saying it too. Now, that's not true because of the number of 20. That's not really why. Okay. You could be in, uh, if you were in certain industries, certain industries might be lucky to have a 5% profit margin and you'd sell the business all day long at six. It's not, it's not the number 20. Here's what it is. It's the top 20% of profitability of all the businesses under consideration. Okay. If, if the average profitability was 15, you know, it's like the 50th percentile puts you at a 15% prof- profitability, then being 20% profitable gets you to the 80th percentile. Well, 80th percentile is the dotted line between the haves and the have nots. Got it. Okay. So, so if you, let's go to Vilfredo Pareto a hundred years ago when he figured this out, 20% of the people have 80% of the money and 80% of the people have 20% of the money. That means the haves have 16 times more money than the have nots. And it's true. Okay. So the businesses that are selling are 16 times easier to sell than the businesses that are not selling. And, and it comes down to 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Like there's a, there's a transition point and you get, you get from this side to this side of it. And all of a sudden everything's much easier. Okay. And, and this is true so that just that, 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 that idea of a tipping point where, you know, most people are down here and they're just f- flopping around in the mud sure. and they're just struggling to get by. Right. And then all of a sudden you get past this point. It's like, Hey man, you know, we, we can buy a nice lunch. We could have a nice employee Christmas party. We got some options. We can, we can pay off our credit cards and then we can start uh, making interest instead of paying interest and all, all these little things. They just start working in your favor and they are true across all of these different segments of your business. So it's true in, in the pro- profit margin of what makes a business sell. It's true in a Facebook account of which posts actually got comments and likes and shares and which ones didn't. It's, it's true in product effects. You're making Ford Rangers. Uh, and you know, there's like a million things that can go wrong with a Ford Ranger, but actually there's like five defects that generate 80 to 90% of the phone calls and warranty returns or product recalls or what. And if you just fix those five things, you can forget about all of the other 995 and you've got your problem 90% solved. I got you. Well, so business owners, you know, we we were talking about as part of the 80, 20 principle, we were talking about uh, the chaos, chaos theory. And there's probably no greater place to find chaos theory in the life of a business owner. So if I'm, if I'm that business owner, where do I get, 
started to identify that 20% that will cascade everything else. How just are there particular areas that you've seen that, you know, this is where you should at least start it. It's agnostic to what industry this is where you ought to go. Yes. So most businesses are losing money on five or 10% of the products they sell five or 10% of the services they provide five or 10% of the customers and clients they serve five or 10% of their employees or contractors, five or 10% of their vendors. Okay. So let me give you an example. I gave a keynote speech to a room full of certified public accountants a few years ago. That's a party. Yeah, that's <laughs> that a party, was a right party, there. man. Actually, it's pretty nice people. I mean, you know, I, I, I know, I know lots of accountants. They, they, they just need a drink or two and then, then, then <laughs> the, the, then the shields come down. Well, so I'm standing in front of these people. I said, okay, how many of you, you got this client, they pay you like 300 bucks, not a lot of money. They call you on like April 13 and they got this giant shoe box of receipts and it's a big giant mess and they send you 872 emails and they can't get themselves together and you're filing all these extensions and then finally in the middle of June, they finally get their stuff together and, and how many of you and all the hands go up. Sure. I said, okay, so today we're going to change your life. I said, so I Perry Marshall, best-selling author, 80, 20 expert. I give you permission to fire that client. I said, there is no law of the universe that says that you have to do this guy's taxes. There's no law of the universe that says you have to take his business and you don't have to be mean about it, but you just send him a letter. Well, you know, my board of directors had a meeting this week and we're changing our direction a little bit and we're just not going to be able to serve you this year. And so we're going to help transition you to a different tax firm. Okay, and the the minute you did that, okay, you lost three hundred dollars, but you gained twenty hours. Yeah, no, no, I <laughs> I get it, but but you know the but it's one of those things where the the entrepreneur sitting here saying, you know what, I, it takes a lot for me to to just just hold on to that, and I and I'm scared. I don't want I don't want to lose that, and so how do I get over that? Okay, so for, so first of all. You are losing money by taking that guy's business. Why? Because you, okay, a CPA should not be making $15 an hour, right? Okay, a CPA ought to be making, I don't know, 100, 200, whatever. Okay, if you're doing 20 hours of work, for $300 tax return, you are not doing stuff that's worth $1,000 an hour. Okay, because here's the way work really is. There's $10 an hour work, like emptying the wastebasket and mowing the lawn and going for office supplies and you know stuff like that, okay? Then there's $100 an hour work, 
which is solving a problem for a customer, answering the phone responsibly, you know, like doing what you're supposed to do. Okay. Then there's thousand dollar an hour work, which is figuring out where you're going to get sources of new clients, negotiating and closing deals, which actually many times is really $10,000 an hour work, not a thousand, like negotiating, like negotiating anything significant is at least $10,000 an hour. Okay. Um, uh, rethinking the way that you work the systems in your business and improving flows, making sure, for example, that if a customer calls and they got money to spend, they don't get put on hold. Okay. If you spend the next week just solving that problem, that's thousand dollars an hour all week long. Right. But you're not doing it. If you're mucking around with some guy who can't get his receipts together. Okay. And so yes, People like hold on to stuff, but 80-20, listen, 80-20 is more about what you say no to than it's about what you say yes to. Because what you say yes to is often chaos theory. Like, well, you know, when is that phone call going to come in? That's chaos theory. You don't know when that phone call is going to come in. But you can say no to stuff that's right in front of you. Most people are addicted. They are so addicted to busyness that they, they trick themselves into feel good getting $300 for 20 hours of working on a tax return. No. Like, y- you would be better sitting in a park bench watching the geese and doing nothing than doing some guy's taxes. Because at least you're meditating, praying, centering yourself, calming yourself down, not having anxiety, living your life. Right, right. A little while ago, you were talking about, you know, you were up to your eyeballs in credit card. You were, you were afraid the spaceship was, was starting to break up. I think so many business owners are there. And most, yeah. and, And so when they're sitting there, when you're saying, yeah, you know what? You'd be better off sitting on this park bench. They're sitting here saying, you know, you don't know my banker. You don't, you know, I've got, I've got payroll to make this Friday. How, how am I supposed to do that? And, and I, and I don't think that there is a, a I don't want to say a great answer. I, it, it, but it's, it's all about fear. How do you, how do you dispose of that fear to say, you know what? I, I can do without this $300 tax return. I'm, I'm not worried about it. There'll, there'll be something coming through around the corner. Okay. So you need to exercise. I'm just going to call it faith in 80, 20 as a law of nature. 80, 20 guarantees you that five or 10% of what you're doing is literally driving you backwards. It is losing you money it is, it is, is moving you backwards in your career, backwards in your business. It's holding you back. Okay. Little, it's like, um, cement shoes. 10, I'll, I'll guarantee you that five, 10, at least five or 10% of what you're doing is literally counterproductive. Okay. Furthermore, I'll guarantee you that about 50% of what you're doing is accomplishing very little and only 20% of what you're doing is actually moving the needle 
And it's, it's a law of nature that this is true. Now, if you are smart about it and if you're aware of it, what you start to do is you start to be ruthless about the stuff that is not really moving you forward, that is holding you back. And you start lasering in on where are the levers. So here's an example of a lever. Dentist office. Phone rings. Helen picks up the phone. There's all this commotion going on. Um, Woodlake Dental, please hold. Okay, and then she puts the person on hold. And then two minutes later, somebody picks up, have you been helped? Uh, yeah, ba 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 ba. And oh, let me transfer you to somebody else. And then they go on hold, right? And then two minutes later, and then the person hangs up. They were getting ready to spend $15,000 to get a whole bunch of dental work done that they've been putting off for years. And the, the advertisement or the newspaper or whatever, and the dentist has spent all this money. It, it finally got him over the hump and they called. And then there was the circus that happened. Okay, so if they were gonna spend $15,000 and with five minutes of hold music and circus, they lost the sale, then how many dollars per hour did that dentist's office lose? $15,000 into five minutes, uh, I believe that's $180,000 an hour. Now that's really crude math. I, yeah, I sure. know, no, no, okay? I get it. but it's a tremendous amount of money was lost in a very short period of time by a process that will never be ex perfectly right unless somebody really focuses on it, right? It. But it's like, okay, we're not gonna do the three hundred dollar tax return, and we're gonna we're gonna take our twenty hours. And we're going to get a system in place with our staff and the phones and everything that know that this could never happen. Helen, Helen could never just put somebody on hold and lose a $15,000 sale. Sure. And we fix that. And then all of a sudden, chaos theory, two and a half weeks later, when one of those sales over, we, we capture it. And look, like we're talking about dentistry, a well-run dental practice that's running on all cylinders can be very profitable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, and this, so the, yeah, this is, this is what we're talking about. There are, there are tons. So that phone call where Helen dropped the ball, that is an 80, 20 lever. That is 1% of the phone calls that produces 50% of the revenue. And you don't yeah. know when it's going to come and it's, it's got to be handled right. Well, that's it. That's interesting. Um, because I know we're, we're, getting ready to bump up against some time uh, issues. But one of the biggest challenges that any business owner faces is being the business. So, and I know you've consulted on this before, but how does that business owner like turn from, I am the business to being this business is an investment and you treat it as such. So can you talk a little bit about how that business owner makes that transition? Well, so you may be able to completely do that, or you may only be able to partially do that. But let's say that you could only partially do that. Let's say, let's say that, um, well, let's say you're a cosmetic dental surgeon and you're one of the best in the country. And so you can't entirely get the business sure. to, to run on itself. But here's what you can do. But 
Here's what you you can do. Okay. You can get rid of the $10 an hour work. You can get rid of the $100 an hour work. You can get rid of the $1,000 an hour work and only do the $10,000 an hour work. And that's exactly what you should do. Yeah. So how, but I go down the road, I turn around and I want to sell it. Now, what do I do? I, I, and even though I'm doing $10,000 and, and again, it may be one of those things where look, yeah, I'm, I recognize that I'm going to do the $10,000 an hour work. And when this, when this party's over, the party's over and I'm not going to sell it. Um, and, but I've capitalized all throughout my career, I guess from a, from a understanding what you have, that's a, probably a different animal, but for the, for the garden variety business Mm -hmm, owner, mm -hmm. you know, how do I, how do I get out from in the middle? Well, so, so that guy, so the guy is just described, let's say he's one of the best dentists in the whole country. It doesn't keep him from having three or four dentists who work for him who do thousand dollar an hour work and do it very well. And, and that makes the $10,000 stuff optional. Okay. Now I, I just had a conversation yesterday with a person who runs a private practice and here's what I told him. Uh, Cause it was the same situation, different, different profession, but same situation. I said, I said, if you get rid of the 10 and a hundred dollar an hour work, you can train other professionals to do the thousand dollar an hour work that gets you free, but you won't be able to train them unless you get rid of the hundred and ten dollar an hour stuff first. And I have a chart in 8020 sales and marketing that actually it's like, here's a list of $10 an hour things. And here's a list of hundred. And it's it's very, it's probably one of people's favorite pages in the book. And, and, and you, you have to become exquisitely mindful of how much is this thing that I'm doing right now? How much per hour is this actually worth? Is this a 10, a hundred, a thousand? If you start answering, asking that question in a year, you'll automatically be way closer to the ideal that you are just uh, talking about, uh, Ed, right now. Well, if you had one piece of advice to uh, give our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business value, what would it be? Decide what you're going to say no to, decide what you're going to cut, decide what you're going to not do. Most entrepreneurs are yes people. We like to say yes to stuff, and that's why we're where we are. What are you going to say no to? Got it. So what's the best way we can connect with you? Um, I suggest that you go to sell8020.com. You can buy 8020 sales and marketing for a penny plus shipping. So that's seven bucks in the U.S. and 14 bucks international. This book will change your life. It really will. Um, if, if you read the Amazon reviews, it's got about 400 reviews, 4.7 stars, um, go through that. And people say, oh my goodness, I, I never see the world the same way again. Yeah. Got mine. Got the Google, Google AdWords. That's a, that's a a deep dive into a a whole nother topic. Yeah. But my goodness, what, uh, what a, a body of work you've had. Uh, and can, and still have and, and continue to do you, you want to talk a little bit about evolution 2.0, uh, and what you're doing there? Um, just briefly. Um, so, so in May, 
I went to the Royal Society in Great Britain and announced the largest fundamental science research prize in the world, and it's called Evolution 2.0. And, it, and it's an, uh, we are looking for an answer to the question, what gives life its spark? Where did life come from? Um, where does the information that makes life work come from? And this began 15 years ago when my younger brother, who was a missionary in China, I went to visit him. And when I got there, I found out he doesn't believe this stuff anymore. He's not a missionary anymore. He's bailed on the whole thing. He's moving home and he's almost an atheist. And it, it sent me down a deep, deep science rabbit hole um, to figure out what questions do we have the answers to and what questions do we not have the answers to. And so 15 years later, there's a book, there's a technology prize. Um, and, um, well, if you, uh, if you wonder like, where did it all come from and where's it all going? You can go to evo2.org and get three, three free chapters of my book and, and find out how that adventure uh, proceeded. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you. So I, I can't tell you how, how grateful I am, uh, for how generous you you've been with your, your time and experiences to help people, uh, that, that we work with maximize their value. So. Uh, thank you for being a defender of business value and uh, have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. Take care, Ed. Thank you for joining the Defenders of Business Value podcast. If you're preparing your business for sale, visit LegacyTransitionAdvisors.com or text EXIT to 35893 to begin your journey to maximum saleable value. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to transfer maximum value in your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com. Better yet, subscribe now so you don't miss the future episodes. This program is copyright Legacy Transition Advisors, LLC. All rights reserved.